Welcome back everyone to Grace Baptist Church. It's not often that a Craigslist ad would be highlighted in a Huffington Post article, but this wasn't any ordinary ad. A group of 20-something guys posted a request for a generic dad to barbecue burgers and hot dogs and an outdoor party. The desirable skills included the ability to grill hamburgers and hot dogs, address all attendees as either big guy, chief, sport, or champ, and to talk about dad things, like lawnmowers and building your own deck. They asked additionally for a minimum of 18 years experience as a father and 10 years experience grilling. Preference, apparently, would be given to men with the name of Bill, Randy, or Dave. Now, I don't know if they found their dad, but the strange request felt to me like a metaphor for our culture's desire for God. Despite the decline in religion, people still want a generic God to show up for special occasions. We may call upon his services for weddings and funerals. We want him to work hard to avoid anything unpleasant happening in our lives. And we expect him to answer our prayers when all else fails. But other than that, we'd like him to keep to himself. We want a generic God who will flip the burgers when we ask him to. Even in the church, we talk more about ourselves than we do about God's often. When we read the Bible, we're looking for practical tips and techniques. And the Bible often frustrates us because it seems so often preoccupied with who God is and what he's done. The problem with a, the ad for a generic burger flipping dad is that it's a hollow caricature of what a father really is. Ideally, fathers can give wisdom security, affirmation, and love. And God can give so much more than that. If you're going to deal with the heaviness of life or overwhelming stress or worry that robs your joy, you need more than a God who flips burgers for you. The Bible's answer to so much in our lives that feels overwhelming is praise. Praise is a deep reflection on who God is and what he's done. But it's a reflection that leads us to speak, to sing, to shout, and even dance in joy at God's greatness. Today's passage does that. It shows us how to teach our hearts to sing. And at this point, I want to ask you to pause the video, get a Bible if you don't have one, and turn to Psalm 103 so you can follow along as we walk through it. Psalm 103 verses 1 to 22 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of God. Now, we need to start by defining our terms and understand what praise really is. We often just use the term to refer to some singing done on a Sunday morning. But praise is what comes out after a deep reflection on who God is and what he's done. Notice how the psalm begins. In verse, in verse 1, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. The word bless here has a sense of speaking well of someone. And it usually comes in response to something else. Maybe an act of God or a call to praise. In ancient Israel, a leader would sing, Bless the Lord with me. And the people would answer in praise to God. But here, David is the worship leader and he's calling out to his own soul. That's how the psalm begins in verse 1 and how it ends in verse 22. And it shows us that praise comes from an internal debate. We need to argue with our hearts and persuade ourselves to worship. Now, one of the ways that we do that, according to verse 2, is by deliberately thinking back on what God has done in Scripture and your own life. So David says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So often we forget what God has done and take for granted his goodness to us. We have selective memory and we can fix, fixate on the burgers we wanted him to flip instead of the far more meaningful things that he's already done and is doing. Now, chances are you haven't been praising God much this week. You may have instead been thinking about a lot of bad news. Or you may have been thinking mostly about something you want God to do. Or just thinking about your day-to-day -day life. But you won't find rest in that day-to-day -day life until you learn to praise. And the praise won't come until you tell your heart to praise and give your heart reasons to do so. As David does that, he gives his heart three reasons to sing. And I want to consider them together. The first reason David gives his heart to sing is that God forgives what you've done. He slowly and deliberately ponders 
the various facets of God's grace in his life. He teaches us to praise God that he forgives what we've done. He begins with a simple statement in verse 3, where he says that God forgives all your iniquity. Iniquity describes all the things that we do to twist God's will for our lives. And God's forgiveness of this tops David's list of God's benefits. Now, at this point, David's heart probably wants to, to move on. It protests, I've already heard this before. So in verse 12, he states it more graphically. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Whatever direction we're headed, God has packed up our sins in a truck and sent them in the opposite direction. Now, our tendency is to take God's forgiveness for granted. But if my counseling time has taught me anything, it's how hard it is for people to forgive. It's, it, it's, it's so difficult for people to forgive sin. And for someone who hasn't first experienced God's forgiveness, it, it seems almost impossible. But God's complete and total pardon is stunning and unique. And, and God doesn't just forgive our sins. He's patient with our weaknesses. So he says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It, it's not like there's a certain point where God forgives us and then says, But you better not mess up again. And it's not as if God blows his top every time we mess up either. He's got a long fuse. He's slow to anger, quick to forgive. Now, because he's a good father, he disciplines us. Without his patient discipline, we'd never change or grow. But even his discipline is merciful. In verse 10, David says, He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. David is speaking from experience. He's committed adultery. He staged a cover-up and then had the husband murdered. Now, God dealt with those sins in David's life, but he did so mercifully. God disciplined him, but he did so gently. And he's acted the same in our lives. If God treated us the way we deserved, none of us would be standing any longer. We really need to let that sink in. Also, when we forgive someone, we do so as a friend or a family member. And it's a little easier to forgive because we know how often that we've sinned against others. But God has never sinned. He's perfect in his holiness. And he doesn't just forgive as a father forgives his children. He also forgives as a judge pardons a criminal. The stakes are a lot higher. That's why David exults when he gets to verse 11. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I remember a time in university where I hit a wall and had a really hard time. When I called home and explained it to my dad, he got in the car, drove to Kingston, took me out to dinner, all in the same night. Love that reaches to Kingston and back makes a mark on you. But according to verse 11, God's love would travel into space for us. He loves us to the moon and back, as the children's storybook says. 
And you need to remind your heart of that when you're tempted to score God on how many burgers he flipped for you. Praise God that he forgives what you've done. If you were a God, you wouldn't forgive what you've done. You wouldn't be as patient or as merciful or as forgiving. Teach your heart to sing about that. But don't just praise God that he forgives what you've done. Praise him that he knows who you are. He gets you. You don't need to explain yourself to him. He knows who you are. In verse 14, David puts it like this. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's a reference back to Genesis 2-7, where it describes God creating Adam from the dust of the ground. God created us so he knows us. He knit us together in the womb. He designed us carefully and perfectly. And so God understands you like no one else. Many of you have had the experience of moving from another country. And one of the things that makes that so stressful is that you always have to explain yourself. When we were in Japan, meeting other Canadians felt like such a relief because we understood each other's jokes and each other's frustrations. When no one understands you, it's frustrating. And it's also incredibly lonely. But God knows you better than your best friend, better than you know yourself. Now, one of the things that he knows about you is your mortality. He remembers that even when we don't. So in verses 15 and 16, he says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Most of us don't feel like grass. We like to think that we're more like granite. We tell ourselves that sickness and calamity are what happened to other people. We pretend like death doesn't exist. And so when it happens, it catches us off guard. But God knows how short our lives are, how fragile they are. In verse 16, when it says that the wind passes over it and it is gone, David's picturing our weakness. A gust of wind can take us out. And we often forget how weak we are. But God knows. He gets us. That's one of the reasons that he's so patient with us, and we're often so impatient with ourselves. Now, the guys who placed the ad in Craigslist for a generic dad, they were looking for a stranger. They didn't care that the person didn't know them as long as he looked the part and did what he was told. And when we treat God like that, we reduce him to something he was never intended to be. Praise God that he knows who we are. He's not thrown off by our weaknesses. He's not frustrated by our limitations. And so we can be ourselves in his presence. Now, we're learning how to teach our hearts to sing. And we need to persuade our hearts. Our feelings can be sluggish and misinformed. So we've said that we need to praise God that he forgives what we've done. And praise God that he knows who we are. But finally, David teaches us to praise God that he provides what we need. Again, David's heart, and probably ours as well, might lodge a protest at this point. It often doesn't feel like God provides what we need because he doesn't always give us what we want. We want a generic God who flips burgers for us, and the true God won't play along. But 
praise God that he gives us what we need. He knows us and he loves us and he provides what will ultimately satisfy us. As an example of that, David starts in verse 3 with these, with these words, who, that, describing the God who heals all your diseases. Now, this is bigger and different than how we might read it at first. David's still speaking to his soul, so the diseases here can't just be physical. Through our corruption from sin, we are all diseased physically, spiritually, and morally. And God is committed to a lifelong healing project in our lives. He's vowed to fix all that is broken about us. A few things he fixes instantly. Many things he fixes over time. And some things will be fixed as we pass from this life into the next. But with God, we can look forward to an eternity that is free from all sickness and disease. Everything that is broken and damaged in our lives will be so no more. Praise God that he provides what we need. In, in verse 4, he reminds us that God is the one who redeems your life from the pit. Now, when an Israelite heard the word redeem, they thought of the kinsman redeemer. That was the nearest relative who was legally bound to bail you out. If your husband died before providing you with children, the redeemer would step in. If you were down on your luck and forced to sell off your property, the Redeemer would purchase it. If you were sold into slavery, the Redeemer would buy your freedom. Now, family being what family is, sometimes your Redeemer wouldn't redeem you or couldn't redeem you. But David reminds his heart, God always redeems your life from the pit. God always posts your bail. Praise God that he provides what we need. Now, David continues in verse 5, and he says that God is the one who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. With a six-foot wingspan, the eagle has long been a symbol of strength and endurance. It was the energizer bunny of the ancient world. Now, the word satisfied describes someone who was full and content after a good meal. But the phrase probably points back to Adam and Eve. We keep looking to the forbidden fruit and thinking, it looks good to eat. But when we eat it, it never satisfies. It, it makes us feel worse, not better. Only God satisfies us with good. Praise God that he provides what we need. Finally, David reminds his heart in verse 7, how God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God speaks to us. He doesn't just leave us fumbling around in the dark. He tells us the truth. God doesn't just talk about lawnmowers and building a patio deck. He tells us about himself. He tells us about how life works. He tells us about our origins, our history, and our future. He tells us our purpose and the values our lives, lives can have in his hands. He tells us what we need to know. Praise God that he does. Praise God that he provides everything we need. Now, if you're like me, you know many of these things, but you think about them far too little. You let your heart get weighed down by lesser things. And I know when I have small, vague thoughts about God, my problems just seem to be much bigger than they really are. 
And I can be frustrated that God isn't flipping the burgers or answering my prayers and doing what I tell him to. It's only as I engage my heart in the internal debate called praise that I see God for who he truly is. And my heart is full of all that he's already done. Praise God that he forgives what we've done. Praise God that he knows who we are. Praise God that he provides what we need. Now, what do you do with this? Maybe you want to print out this psalm and have it on your desk as you work this week. Maybe you read it before you start your day or just as you go to sleep at night to remind yourself of God's benefits. Maybe you take the three headings that I've given you and you make a habit of praying through them. Just reminding your, your heart of all that God has done, all his benefits. Whatever you do, I'd pray that you teach your heart to sing. Because life is hard for many right now. And the songs may not come so easily. And if it's not hard for you right now, you may need practice for when that day comes. Now, before we close, I'd be remiss if I didn't warn you not to read someone else's mail. We've looked at a psalm that talks about amazing things that God has done. But note who he has done them for. Verse 13 says that he shows compassion to his children. It also says that he shows compassion to those who fear him. Then in verse 18, he says, It is the steadfast love of the Lord is to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. All that we've looked at today is who God is to his children, to those who fear him, and to those who follow him. And so if that doesn't describe you, then you're reading someone else's mail. And chances are he hasn't forgiven you. He doesn't know you in the way that he wants. And he hasn't promised to provide what you need. But these promises can be yours through faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, says this of Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Many people want to think happy thoughts about a God who loves them, even though they haven't received him. Even though the door has been closed. When Jesus came, many of the people you would think most likely to welcome him didn't. And many who seemed least likely to did. But it says all who received him, who welcomed him into their lives as their Savior and as their Lord, who trusted him and decided to follow him. It says he gave them a place in God's family, a place that they had forfeited. And they received as a free gift of grace all the benefits that we've been talking about. A God who forgives what we've done. A God who knows who we are. And a God who provides what we need. If there's any chance that you have been reading someone else's mail this morning, and you haven't yet put your whole weight of trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, then receive him today. Welcome him into your life through repentance and faith. Let me pray for you as you do.
Heavenly Father, we confess the small thoughts that we have of you. We confess that often we we don't want much of you in our lives at all. We just want to order up a, a few things that are important to us and we can't seem to figure out ourselves. And then often we turn our backs. We look away. And we confess that as sin. Father, we, we lean in to the truths of this passage and we, we praise you. We worship you. We express our love and our trust in you. Father, we stand back in awe that you are a God who forgives us. How could you do that? How could you show such grace? We feel the comfort of knowing that you truly understand us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And so we can be ourselves with you. Thank you, Father, for providing what we need. We often grumble and complain towards you because you don't give us everything we want. And so often we don't even know what we need. And so thank you for providing it. Father, I pray for anyone listening today who hasn't turned to you, who hasn't opened the door to you, who hasn't welcomed Jesus into their life. And so these promises are not their promises. Help them, Father, to turn from sin and to put their trust in Jesus, to give themselves to him and so become your child. For all these things, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's my prayer that this message has given you some arguments to help you teach your heart to sing, to think more deeply about God's forgiveness, his nearness, and his provision. And so let's help, let's lift up our voices and praise this week. Let's do what David told his own soul to do and respond. And if you know someone whom you'd like to join in this great song, then share this message with them and encourage their heart in Christ. For more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.